0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Now, as we close today, I just want to uh, say that I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we have... Uh, done this series. I'm so glad that we did this series. I'm I'm glad that we have been wrestling through questions with our life group. Um, It's been really cool to see uh, uh, people actually uh, message us on the social medias and stuff and, and encouraging us how this series has actually impacted their lives and how they see more clearly how God sees other human beings made in his image, how they've shared this series with their family and with their friends. And at the same time, at the same time, while this series has been super good, I don't know about you, but for me, personally, I feel still overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed by, the, just, just by all of it, like for real, for real. While, while this series has been good, the world around us still goes on, right? In the midst of learning what it uh, looks like to see people made in the image of God, my Asian brothers and sisters are mourning right now because of all the recent anti-Asian hate stuff that has been going on. And for me personally, it feels like as a black man, with each encouraging thing that I learned from the scriptures about how God sees me and how God sees others, the world around me still paints a different picture. I remember the feeling when I heard about Philando Castile getting shot by the police for simply reaching in his wallet for his license. The license that he was actually asked to show. I remember bawling my eyes out because in that moment, in that moment, I realized that that could have actually been me. I remember mourning death over death of black people in the streets, in their homes, while they were sleeping, while they were running. I remember the fear of witnessing a white lady in Central Park who seemingly was racist when she thought a black dude was somehow out to get her even though he was watching birds. For me, this was a very personal thing because I actually uh, enjoy watching birds. If you're in the community, they call it birding. Um, I actually enjoy doing that. I actually enjoy watching and listening to the birds. It reminds me of, of God and who he is for me. And, and like I said, this got to me because for me, if, if I were to just go towards a park to listen and to watch the birds, the fear of being called, uh, uh, the fear of, of someone calling the cops is a real thing. I could literally be doing that and someone just called the cops because they felt threatened by my presence. I see politicians talking out of both sides of their mouth. They say they're for black people and then their policies actually don't reflect any of what they say. I see the lives of Brianna Taylor, Ahmed Aubrey, George Floyd, and countless others. Uh, and, and I see how much of a, a vapor life truly is, how fragile it truly is. That one minute you're here and the next minute you're not, and how true that is of black people here in America. See, I see why black people are shouting our lives matter, because I see the hopelessness in their eyes. To fight for your Amago Day when others are not fighting for it for you, that really is a tall order, to say the least. And, and this type of stuff, this is the type of stuff for me personally that makes me want to go, look, I'm good, man. I think I'm, I think I'm good. I, you know, I, I put in the time. I think I am good. I'm tired of continually raising my voice for something that, that it feels like half of the country doesn't even think is happening. I'm tired of continually going out of my way to show people that they don't have to be scared of me because of the color of my skin. I'm tired of taking a different route because a white lady is is walking down the same path as me. And I'm afraid that maybe, just maybe, she's going to be afraid and call the cops. I'm done looking at the news because look where that's got me. Sadness, anger, cynicism, fear, just all of, all of the emotions. I see my white brothers and sisters in this very room, online, who are fighting to know more, learning what it looks like to lament, reading books, listening to podcasts, texting their black brothers and sisters, actually engaging in fruitful conversations about race. And hear me say, your black brothers and sisters see you. We're thankful for you for doing that. But in all of that, I'm sure you felt this same feeling that I'm feeling. This, this feeling of two steps forward and 1.75 steps back. I'm sure at times you felt like giving up as well because it just seems like such a massive undertaking, a monumental task. And it might feel like what you're doing is actually not enough. That, that maybe what you're doing is, is nothing And in many ways, it may feel like what you're doing is only a drop in the bucket that is the need for justice in our world. So, to those of us who are feeling any and all of this, to wrap up our series today, I want to bring us some encouragement and some endurance from the scriptures. I want to give us the good news of the gospel so we don't throw our hands up and just give up, to just give up the fight for meaningful change because if if you're looking around at progress uh, at the progress or lack thereof there are going to be plenty of reasons for you to give up there are going to be plenty of reasons for you to give up to to just conclude the fight and be done and 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 just you know wash your hands of it all but when we stop to actually look at the scriptures we find plenty of encouragement we find plenty of endurance to sustain us so that's what we're going to do today That's what we're going to do. I want to show us where we can find endurance and hope in the fight against injustice. And I want to do that by looking at all three persons of the Trinity. That's right. I want to get some practical help from what uh, a guy named Eric Mason calls the Trinitarian dopeness of our God. It's okay if you laugh. The Trinitarian dopeness of our God. How focusing and considering the three persons of the Trinity gives us strength for the fight. So when it comes to actually addressing the injustices in our world, I want us to first consider the Father. I want us to first consider the Father. As we talked about, God cares very much about the injustices of this world. He's also very active in working towards correcting all of those wrongs to do away with it altogether. But more on that in a bit. But in the here and now, how does the Father actually help us to not give up specifically? Well, I think we can find that in that verse, 1 Peter 5 7. It says this Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's a certain kind of weight that comes with addressing and fighting the injustices of this world. As we've said before, America was built on slavery, so it's very hard to eradicate the effects of over 400 years of oppression of a people group as quickly as we may want to do. These effects, though, can lead to anxieties and various burdens we feel that are insurmountable. And so what 1 Peter does is he, he tells us to actually cast our burdens, to cast our anxieties onto the Lord. Now, we've we've talked about casting our anxieties before in another sermon, but this idea of casting is very action-oriented. Rather than just sitting back and waiting on God to do something about our anxiety and the pressures that we are feeling from this, Peter says, hey, fam, hey, I need you to cast all of that onto the Father. I need you to to go to the Father for this, because that's actually how you will be able to deal with the burdens that you are feeling." Charles Spurgeon put it eloquently when he talked about casting our anxieties and burdens on the Lord. He says this, this work of casting can be so difficult that we need to use two hands to do it. The hand of prayer and the hand of faith. Prayer tells God what the care is and asks God to help, while faith believes that God can and will do it. Prayer spreads the letter of, tr- of trouble and grief before the Lord and opens L its budget. And then faith cries, but I believe that God cares and cares for me. I believe that he will bring, out, uh, bring me out of my distress and make it promote his own glory. So he says, casting your burdens requires us praying to the Father and believing that he will do the very work that needs to be done. Whether through you or through someone else. And you know, there, there is a uh, certain humility that actually comes with casting our burdens and anxieties on the Lord. There is a certain vulnerability that accompanies it. See, it's very easy when the going gets tough um, that for some of us, we, we like to double down in our efforts we like to double down in our efforts with no mention of God, with no looking towards God, none of that. We keep trucking along without considering the one who has actually called us to do the very thing that we want to do. For others, we, we, we do actually give up. But at the same time, the problem still exists we, we, because we don't uh, look to the Father as someone who cares enough to actually enter into this with us. And so we dip out. We look at it regardless, at our fight and our fight alone. But oh, if we were to actually cast our burdens onto the Lord, how much more do you think we'll be in this fight? How much more do you think we'll be in this fight because of what the Lord brings to the table? I'll tell you about a time I had to uh, learn what it meant to cast my anxieties on the Lord. A-, a couple years ago, when my wife and I found out we were pregnant, we were very much overjoyed. Um, with the idea of becoming parents. We, we had been trying for a while, and um, once we had found out, man, it was pretty cool. It was really cool. I didn't know what it would look like to be a dad or anything like that, but man, slowly but surely, you know, day by day, I was starting to like, get excited about the idea of just becoming a dad. Meanwhile, Mel was, uh, my wife was, you know, like many expectant mothers, she was kind of already in mommy mode, you know, she was already there, man. She was already thinking and processing and doing all of that well told our parents, we told people that were close to us in life group, all of that stuff. It's just an exciting time. But sadly, <coughs> a few weeks in, we found out that we were going to have what's called an ectopic pregnancy. Um, the, the basis of it is um, that it's basically a miscarriage caused by the baby implanting outside of the uterus. And one where the mother um, is in danger of dying. and so. Mel actually had to have surgery um, or risk dying, and needless to say, we were devastated. We b- both went about our grief in, in different ways. Um, I was very upset with the Lord, um, obviously, um, because as she would have said, how can God allow this to happen? And for me, I, I, to be honest, man, I buried a ton of it. I just buried a ton of emotions. Um... And they actually caught up with me. I actually had an anxiety attack that, ha- that, that forced me to actually deal with my grief. Forced me to deal with the pain and the hurt and everything that was um, in that. For us both, our burdens became too heavy to bear. It was too weighty for us um, to do alone. We needed to cast our anxieties and our burdens onto the Lord. <clears throat> we needed the Lord to bear them for us. We were in a place where we had to practically do that. And I feel as for us as Americans, um, we have an uphill battle with this idea of casting our anxieties onto, onto the Lord. Because typically as Americans, um, we're taught to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're, we're taught to hustle. We're taught to, you know, do things our own way. You just name the cliche. That's what we are taught. It's this idea of succeeding without anyone's help. And maybe you have, or maybe you haven't been heavily influenced by it, but there's no doubt that individualism is the very air that we breathe. You can't escape it in many ways. And so when it comes to actually fighting injustices, there may be this strong temptation to think think of things as our fight to bear, that we must do the thing, that it's, it's all on us to do the thing. But hear me say, fam, hear me say this. Without God, doing things your own way when it comes to justice will end up in vain one way or another. The burden will eventually get to you. The fight will eventually overwhelm you. The anxieties will eventually keep you up at night. Because it's a lot. It is a lot. But see, if we consider the Father before we actually enter into this, especially while we're into it and we're fighting, we can actually lean on him to care for us and to sustain us like nothing else and no one else can. As Psalm 18.2 puts it, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Somebody say The Lord is my stronghold. I wasn't sure if that was going to work. I just wanted to test the waters uh, to see if it was. Um, Your Father in heaven will be the very rock that you need to cling to when things feel shaky underneath you. He will be your shield. He will be your fortress when all amounts of things come your way. And he is ultimately your salvation and stronghold to which you can actually look to for hope. So, how do we practically live this out? Well, again, before you engage in any form of injustice, uh, injustice work, go to the Father and pray for guidance. Pray for where you think he needs you to put your efforts and put all of your energy towards. He should know. Ask him to go before you and soften the hearts of the people that you're going to actually interact with in the future. He can do that. And don't just do this, you know, as a one-off, you know, as you're thinking about it today, but do it over the course of when you actually do justice. The Father wants to be involved. And, And... Hear me say, this is not certainly a full picture of Micah 6, but but there are aspects of when you do justice in this way, when you humbly submit yourself to the Lord, when you go to the Father first and foremost, you are carrying out the whole walking humbly with Him part of that Scripture. So consider the Father before and during when it comes to addressing the injustices in our world, and remember that the Father is someone who hates injustice just as much as you, if not way more, in fact, he hates it so much that he sent his son to pay for the injustices of this world. Which leads me to our second thing. I want you to consider Jesus. <clears throat> I want you to consider Jesus. Or, put a better way, I want you to try Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 Verse 3 says this, it says, For the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, that first part of Hebrews we'll address a little later, um, but I want to kind of zero in on verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In Jesus' earthly ministry here, he had opposition, and you will most likely have opposition as well as you address and fight the injustices of this world. You know, maybe for you, um, it's someone on your social media feed who tries to combat you every single time you post something justice-related. For some, maybe it's when you try to point out an instance of injustice and people give you the, hey, let's not try to be negative. Let's not be divisive about this. For others, maybe it's when you try to uh, uh, work towards correcting injustice and, and you get a, hey, you're, you're just going to make those people content in their laziness. Or maybe when you try to give your time or resources towards justice and people call you a leftist or whatever insult of choice they want to make. And honestly, a few of us may even suffer some sort of physical resistance or attack of some kind. But all of that is because when you stand up to injustices in our world, you are opposing the very nature of sin's hold on someone. Places like Ephesians 6 makes it clear that the injustice, uh, uh, that the injustice and sin we witness in the world actually has powerful forces of darkness behind it. So it makes sense that, when, uh, uh, that you will encounter some resistance when you oppose those things. And in those moments of pushback there easily could be temptation to be tired, to give up, to, to, to lose heart, as the Bible would say. And so we actually look to the cross as confidence, knowing that Jesus, who was perfect, received pushback for bringing the kingdom near. And as his, father, as his followers, we actually get to practically help bring the kingdom near as well by doing the very same things that Jesus did. When Jesus came Onto the scene, he proclaimed uh, this as his entry point in Luke 4:18. It says this: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is what Jesus was sent to do. He said so himself. Jesus saw that part of his ministry included helping others, proclaiming liberty or or freedom to the captives, helping those who are blind to have sight, both physically and spiritually, helping those who are oppressed, and honestly much more. And as his followers, as his followers, we get to proclaim good news to the poor. We get to proclaim liberty to the captives. We get to help those who are blind to see, and in light of our sermon, we get to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus bowed to the Father's will and took on the injustices of the world. So when you experience opposition from friends, from family members, from whoever, when you're doing all this, know this, that that Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling right now. He can actually empathize with you and understand what you feel. Know that he bowed to the Father's will so uh, uh, so that justice could actually be served. And that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, in the midst of addressing all of that and fighting injustices, I'm not sure if you caught this from that verse from Luke four eighteen, but uh, at the top of it, it said that uh, Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The first thing Jesus says is that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then he lists all the things that he was called to do. So, as we consider the Father, as we consider Jesus, know that we should also consider the Spirit we should also consider the Spirit. The same Spirit that was upon the Lord to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover uh, sight to the blind and set liberty at uh, those who are oppressed, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to do what he did now empowers you to do similar things that he proclaimed and accomplished. So as you address and fight injustices in this world, like Jesus, the Spirit is right there with you. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that that the Spirit is literally right there with you? The Spirit is the one actually empowering you right now to do the very thing that you are called to do? So not only does the Spirit... Help us to care for the injustice of this world when we are caring for the broken and downtrodden, when we are standing up for the oppressed, when we are helping the abused and the marginalized. If we, if we try to do all of this on our own strength, we will be exhausted and burnt out. But with the Spirit's help, we'll be able to last. See, what we need is the power of the Spirit of God to help us both start and to sustain us through enacting justice, the Spirit can actually help us not to lose heart. Now, maybe you're hearing me and you're like, nah, fam, that's that's Jesus, dude. That's that's Jesus. I get, I get what he said back in Luke 4:18. But what I'm saying is that is Jesus. What he did is beyond what I can do. Which I get. I get that. It's Jesus. I would, yeah, I would understand that. Let's read something real quick. This is Jesus again, John 14, 12. Let's see what he says here. He says, truly, truly, I love how that starts. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater, somebody say greater. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father so Jesus says what again he says we're going to do greater works now that statement is very strong Uh, it almost sounds like a hyperbole right it almost sounds like he's exaggerating a little bit but Jesus raised uh, Jesus raises the dead how am I going to be able to do that how am I going to do greater than that? Jesus healed the multitudes. Nah, not fam. I can't heal the multitudes. Not me. There's plenty of debate to what Jesus meant by that exactly, uh, the phrase greater. The leading theory is that Jesus meant greater as in quantity, uh, as, filled with the spirit, uh, as filled with the Spirit as Jesus was. He was still just one person. So obviously, millions of followers of Jesus around the globe, all filled with that same Spirit, are going to do more um, by sheer quantity. But regardless of what it means, uh, um, sorry, but regardless of what it means that we are to do greater things by the power of the Spirit, here's one thing that it doesn't mean it doesn't mean lesser. It doesn't mean lesser. When Jesus says you're going to actually do greater things than I do, he doesn't mean, hey, you're just going to do, you know, kind of play church. You're going to kind of fight injustices until I come back. Right? He's not saying that. So when it comes to justice and all that Jesus did, as followers of his, we will do greater than what Jesus did. Now, again, that may sound like blasphemy if it didn't come from Jesus himself, but it did come from Jesus himself. And this family. This is all made possible by the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit is is going to empower you. The Spirit empowers you to do justice. Don't miss that. The Spirit empowers you to do justice. But the Spirit is, is not just here to empower you. It's not just here to empower you. At the end of the day, the hope is that the people that, uh, 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 that you come in contact with is that, that they will ultimately know him. That is the hope, that the very people that you encounter who are on the opposite fence, so to speak, uh, will be the very same people um, that will uh, meet you and other followers of Jesus and will one day be transformed for the kingdom. This is the hope, that transformation for the sake of the gospel is what truly matters. And the Spirit is here to actually transform our lives and those around us. He has the power to change hearts, and we can pray in faith that he will do it. So through the Father, we have one who hates injustice. Through the Son, we have uh, one who took on all injustices and can empathize with us. And through the Spirit, we have a creator who, who brings new life around us, which leads me to God's promises. The Lord has given us uh, all this now to help us through the sinful world, but he has also left us with a promise that when things uh, feel really bad, we have hope. So consider the promises. I said we were going to address this um, a while back, but that Hebrews passage, uh, it's Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered what type of joy made Jesus want to endure the excruciating nature of the cross? It said joy. Like, you don't have to do a double take, it said joy. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, he knew the cross was coming, he knew he was going to die. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured. He went along with it. He knew the opposition was coming. He knew his mortal body could not withstand the pain that was coming. And yet powered by the Holy Spirit, for the joy set before him, he pushed through, he endured. So what is this joy? And how do we tap into this as we fight for justice? Well... For that I think we need to look at Second Peter 313. A lot of scripture today, a lot of scripture. But God has promised, somebody say promised us a new heaven and a new earth where justice will rule. When Jesus endured the cross, he had the end game in mind. He knew where everything was headed. He knew dying would pay for our sins. He knew dying would reconcile us to each other. He knew dying would reconcile us to the Father. And he also knew that by dying, he would be securing our place in a new heaven and a new new earth where justice would rule forever. He knew that ultimately his work uh, would not be in vain because ultimately justice would rule in the end. And not just sin marked justice, no, perfect and complete justice. To put it another way, We read it at the top, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul, before this verse, has just talked uh, uh, about the coming new heavens and new earth and where justice will reign. And he closes that, that out by saying, Therefore, be steadfast. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. Because the future is already secure. And God will one day establish perfect justice in a new heavens and new earth. And you can know that your effort, all of the effort, all of the toil, sorry, I'm about to cry, all of the hardships, All of the pain is not wasted, not one iota, not one single drop. See, see, family, sometimes it may feel like a drop in a bucket isn't enough. It may not may feel like it doesn't matter. But Paul says it's not in vain. You may not feel like it's nothing, but Paul says it is substantial. It matters. It matters. When you're on team, new heavens, and new earth, the final score has been settled. The final results were set in stone before you even stepped foot into the game. So when you're working towards the final result that God has already predetermined, every single thing matters. And furthermore, you're not the only one working towards it. You're with millions of other followers of Jesus across the globe working towards it, whose labor is also not in vain. You're you're with other followers of Jesus who are casting their anxieties onto the Lord. You're with other followers of Jesus who are looking to Jesus as their confidence And you are with other followers of Jesus who are also being empowered by the same Holy Spirit as you are to change the status quo, to see people come to know the Lord. So, do you know what happens when each of you puts a drop in the bucket? The bucket eventually fills up. To close, I want to leave you uh, with a part of King's I Have a Dream speech where he puts a lot of this beautifully, um, speaking about the fight for racial justice. He says this: He says, If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. You have to keep moving forward. And then he says, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've I've been to the mountaintop. He says he's, he's seen God's plan for a new heavens and new earth. He's caught the vision of a new world where justice will rule. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. We will get to the promised land. Church family, I want you to know today. That we as a people, all races, all ethnicities, those of us who are following after Jesus, we will get to the promised land one day. We will get there. Though it may be rough right now, we will get there. Though it may be tough, we will get there. Get to the promised land where justice will rule. Where justice will rule. Church family, that is is how we don't give up. This is how. Because of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how we don't lose hope, that's how we don't grow weary. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord. Gosh. Thank you so much for... um, for this series lord thank you so much for speaking to us through your spirit lord i want to pray over our people i want to pray over our people right now lord will you sustain us through the midst of everything will you give us boldness and courage to fight for injustice for all the uh, just injustices of this world to fight for justice lord this 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 world is 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 full of sin it's it's full of darkness it's it's full of brokenness lord And we know that we we cannot drive out this darkness without your light. We just can't, we just can't. So Lord, will you help us to fight? Will you be by our side as we take a stand for those who are made in your image, but not treated as so? Help us to know exactly where to be, where where to put our energies towards. Will you help us to show people not just how justice looks, but to show people you in the midst of it all. Lord, will you prepare our hearts? Will you prepare the hearts of the people that are going to, to be in opposition to us? Lord, will you soften their hearts to the gospel? Will you soften their hearts to you? That maybe, just maybe, something that we say will encourage them, will will point them to you, and that they will know who you are because of what we say. Lord, help us to not grow weary. Help us to not grow tired. But Lord, if we do, if if we somehow do grow weary, Lord, will you help us to remember to cast our burdens, to cast our anxieties, to look to you for hope, for healing, for more boldness. Lord, help us to look to you, to count on you, Because you care about this more than us. (laughs) Lord, we submit to you. We humbly submit our desires, our lives, everything, our whole being, Lord. Lord, we submit to you. Yeah. Amen.